Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this third Sunday of Advent. Now, Advent is a season of the church that leads up to Christmas Day. And the name Advent means coming. An Advent is an arrival. Throughout the history of God's people, promises had been made of a coming king who would establish an everlasting kingdom. And this kingdom would not be like any other that the world had ever known. Unlike the kingdoms of this world, this coming kingdom would be filled with perfect justice. Never would the king judge poorly. In this kingdom, there would be perfect peace. Warfare would end. And the image that we are given is that all swords will be hammered into plows for there will be no more need for implements of war. In this coming kingdom, want will be replaced with abundance. Never again will parents have to explain to their children why they have nothing to eat and must go to bed hungry. In this kingdom, there would be freedom, there would be righteousness, and there would be love. And therefore, God's people waited with eager expectation for the day when the promised king would arrive to establish his promised kingdom. They longed and they prayed for his advent. They sang out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And this is what we remember and celebrate on Christmas Day. The advent, the coming of God's promised King, even the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus was born as the fulfillment of the kingdom promises. First to inaugurate the kingdom, to establish its foundation. However, the complete fulfillment of His heavenly kingdom is still awaiting its full arrival. In His first coming, the Lord Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. He displayed its power. He went to the cross to win a people for Himself. And in His death and resurrection, He opened the path of salvation and deliverance. He died to bring forgiveness of sins and He rose from the dead to open the way to everlasting life. And yet, the full expression of the kingdom of God is still to come. Jesus at His first advent began the kingdom in His life, death, and resurrection. However, He promised that He would return and bring about the fullness of the kingdom of God. He promised a second advent in which His kingdom would be consummated. All the promises of life and life everlasting would be finally and fully received. In this season of Advent, we remember... We remember His first coming. But we also are to long and to look forward to His second coming when Christ will be revealed from heaven, raise the dead from their graves, judge between the righteous and the unrighteous, usher His people into the full enjoyment of the blessing of God and His kingdom for all eternity. And in our passage for this morning, we turn to Matthew 25. Verses 1 through 13 can open there now in your Bibles. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus continues to explain the nature 
of His coming, of His advent, with a parable about ten young women waiting for a wedding feast to begin. In this parable, five are wise and prepare all that they need to wait. However, five are foolish and come unprepared to wait. And when the wedding feast finally arrives, only those who were prepared to wait enjoy the blessing of this day, while the five foolish are left out. And what Jesus is teaching us in this parable is that if we would enjoy the blessing of the coming kingdom, we must be ready to wait for His arrival. So hear now the Word of the Lord, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that the spirit that first inspired these words of scripture might now come and open our eyes to their truth. That in seeing and hearing the gospel message, that we might truly receive it. And we might trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Maybe no other topic has captured the imaginations of Christians more than the return of Christ. Over the past several decades in particular... There have been books and conferences, movies, all about the second coming of Christ. There are charts that outline all the supposed events that must occur prior to His return. There are predictions based upon supposed biblical scholarship that give specific dates of when we might expect it all to happen. There are novels that purport to be historical fiction in advance that tell of the coming rapture, the rise of the Antichrist the tribulation and eventual establishment of a millennial kingdom. 
In the early 80s, my uncle was so convinced that Jesus would return in the near future that he attempted to convince my father to apply for several credit cards and buy whatever they wanted. Because as his logic went, they would never have to pay them off because Jesus was coming back at any time. However, all of this speculation is not how the Lord Jesus teaches us to wait for His coming. Rather, if we would wait for Christ's advent in a faithful manner, we must understand that His return is mysterious. That is, the time and the full nature of His return is known only to God Himself. In our passage, the Lord Jesus explains the mystery of His second coming like ten virgins who are waiting for the beginning of a wedding feast. Now, we don't know all of the details of how weddings were conducted in first century Israel. However, we do know that often a wedding feast would begin with a torch-lit procession to the groom's home. When the groom arrived, the bride's attendants would process with torches held high to create a brilliant display as they marched towards the beginning of the wedding feast. However, no one could predict exactly how long it would take to prepare for that feast. The preparations might last a few hours or well into the night. And here we see that the bridegroom has taken longer than might have been expected and does not arrive until the middle of the night. Now, there are five young women who were prepared to wait and five who are not. For the wise brought extra fuel for their torches, knowing that there was a good chance that the festivities wouldn't begin for several hours, whereas the foolish didn't bring enough oil to last the night. When time came to joyously march with lamps held high, they were out of oil. As we see in the text, they asked to borrow some from the wise, but the wise understood there was no point in sharing. They weren't being stingy. They just understood if they divided their oil, no one would have enough. Better to have five torches burning for the procession than not to have any burning at all. But what was the point? What is the lesson? What is Jesus seeking to teach us about His coming in this parable? Well, he's teaching that the nature and time of his return is mysterious. And therefore, we must be prepared at all times for his coming, not knowing exactly when it will happen. For look at his conclusion in verse 13. He says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It is foolish to think that you can predict the return of the Lord. And those who think He will arrive at a certain hour will find themselves unprepared when He actually does arrive. So there are speculations into the time and manner of His return that are not specifically given in Scripture are folly. Elsewhere, Jesus tells His disciples, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
the time and manner of Christ's return is mysterious in nature. Only the Father knows the exact details. And when we seek to know the mystery of God's hidden will, we become like five foolish virgins who believed that they could anticipate the length of the bridegroom's delay and were finally unprepared when He did come. The Lord has given us all that we need to wisely follow Him in this world. He's revealed to us all that we need to know to faithfully follow after Jesus Christ. And it is vain and it is folly to seek out the hidden mysteries of Christ's return. To be wise, we don't need to know when He will return. For the things that He has withheld, we must trust is for our good. Even as we read in Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. They are His. He has withheld them for a reason. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things He has revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of His law. To be consumed with the desire to know the mystery of Christ's return only leads to folly. Therefore, we need only trust in what Christ has truly and clearly given to us. That we are to be ready at all times for His return. Now the second thing that Jesus is seeking to explain about His advent is that it will be like a wedding feast. We looked at this aspect a little bit last week. And again, we see the festive nature of the return of Christ. Look at verse 10 of our text. There we read, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. As the foolish were going off to buy more oil, the bridegroom arrived and brought the wise into the joy of the marriage feast. The ten virgins tell us much about the nature of the church. For there will be those within the church who are prepared for the coming of Christ and those who are not. People gather and proclaim that their hope is in Christ and His salvation, but truly know nothing of His saving work. And there are those who faithfully trust in Christ and His salvation. And they will endure through the hardships of this world. And when He returns, they are richly rewarded with the blessings of His heavenly kingdom. The wise wait for the return of Christ with faith in what He has done on the cross and what He will do when He returns. They don't look into vain mysteries, but trust in what has been clearly revealed. For on the cross, the Lord Jesus was put forward to pay the penalty for our sin. He was the sacrifice who took upon Himself our punishment. He died on behalf of His people, and then on the third day rose from the dead and ascended up into heaven. And even now, He is at the right hand of the Father, preparing for His people their eternal reward. This is the clear and consistent message of the Gospel. In John 14, Jesus explains it this way. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come again 
and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. You see, this is the reward of those who faithfully trust in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be with Him. When He returns, we will finally know the full blessing of His presence. For now we see Him as through a mirror dimly. But on the day of His return, we will see Him face to face. And that will be a reward worth all the struggles and hardships of this life. To look into His face and see the radiance of the glory of God looking upon you with love and acceptance and joy. It is what Paul calls the weight of eternal glory. It is what makes the suffering of this world fade into the background. It is the light that makes all the darkness of this world flee away. There is a reward, Christian, that comes on the day of Christ's return. And it is Christ Himself. And if we would wait wisely, if we would be ready, then we must look forward to the reward of Christ. We must see Him as the full fulfillment of all of our deepest desires and longings. We can easily get caught up with all the other blessings of heaven. And there will be blessings that are more than we could even imagine. There will be physical release from pain and weakness and disease. There will be relational joy as we reunite with loved ones and have none of the barriers of sin that divide us even from our most beloved friends and family here on earth. There will be spiritual joy as we join together in song and music that far exceeds anything that we have experienced on earth. And there will be beauty and there will be glory and there will be joy. But all of these blessings will seem small and dim compared to the glory of Christ Jesus Himself. When the true object of our heart's desire will finally come to its fit end. That is, when we, when what we are created for, to glorify and enjoy God forever becomes our unhindered eternal pursuit. If we would be ready for the coming of Christ, We must know that Christ is the reward of those who wait. The King is the highest reward in the kingdom. As we come to the end of the parable, we see that the five foolish women return. And they seek to gain entrance to the party. But they are denied. Look at the end of verse 10 through verse 12. There we read, the door was shut, right? The the wise came in, the party began, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The third thing we see in our text is that there is a finality to Christ's second coming. That is to say, when Christ returns, there will be no turning back. The die will have been cast. Those who are in Christ by God's grace through faith in the gospel will be shut in. They will be sealed unto eternity in the presence of God. And those who do not believe the gospel will be shut out from the blessing of God's heavenly kingdom. 
On the day of Christ's return, there will be multitudes that will desire to be with Christ. For we read that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But only those who have received Christ in faith will enjoy the blessing of His kingdom. Only those who trust in Him now will be blessed then. And though many will seek repentance, though many will seek entrance, the Word of God says that they will be denied. For they will be told by the Lord Jesus Christ, I never knew you. It may seem harsh. And you might not understand why the Lord will shut the door. And yet it's only the fool who believes that he is more gracious and merciful than God himself. It's only a fool who rejects the Lord God's prerogative to do what He wills with His own creation. He has the right, as the Word of God tells us, to choose whom He will, and He has the right to deny whom He will. But what the Word of God clearly reveals is that when our earthly life comes to an end, either by death or by Christ's return, that is the final seal on our eternal destiny. The book of Hebrews explains it with these words. It's appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. There will be a second advent. Not to deal with sin. Not to die for sin. Not to offer forgiveness of sin. But to save those who eagerly wait for His coming. This reality means that if we would be wise, if we would wait eagerly for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we must now place our full faith and trust in Him, even this day. For we do not know when Christ will return. We do not know the day or the hour. It's been set according to the secret will of God the Father. We can't guess when it will be, so we must be ready at all times. Again, verse 13 of our text, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You see, when the day and the hour comes, it will be final. There will be no second chances. There will be no changing sides. You will either be in Christ or not. You will either be shut in to the eternal blessings, sealed unto eternity, to the wedding feast, or you will be shut out. To those who know Christ, this finality is a great security. And to those who do not, a great warning. That we are to be ready for His coming. And to be ready, we must know the finality of when He returns. Advent. This is a season of waiting. We prepare for the coming of Christ as we decorate our homes, as we go to celebrations, as we buy and wrap presents, as we count down Advent calendars and have special Advent Music. It's a foretaste of the joy of the feast, the wedding feast that is to come. As a child, waiting for Christmas seems painfully slow. The last few weeks before Christmas holidays seem to creep past. Each day, the wrapped presents under the tree call out to you with intrigue. The small Advent chocolate that you get to each eat 
eat each evening seems to taunt you as it draws out the time before the great celebration that is to come. And you think, when will it ever arrive? As adults, the opposite seems to be the case. Whereas kids go around going, I can't believe it's taking so long. Adults go around saying, I can't believe Christmas is already here. We feel like it's come too quickly. Like there isn't enough time to get ready. We're caught off guard. How did it come? I'll never have everything ready in time. And the Lord in His wisdom has taught us of His coming. He's instructed us that His kingdom is like waiting. For some, the time goes slow. Brother, the the time seems to fly past. But for all of us, the day will come. The question is not if or when it will come, but the question is how will you wait for it to come? Do not be like the fool who is not prepared, but rather trust in the Lord even now and be ready for the joy of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you at this time, Lord, and we confess that so often we are unprepared. For the coming of your kingdom. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give to us the grace that we might turn our attention away from the vain and foolish speculations of this world and that we might trust in what you have clearly revealed to us. Oh, Lord, would you give to us trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, in his death to pay for our sin and his resurrection to release us from the sting of death and bring to us this eternal kingdom of which You have promised. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.